are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at lastwordonsports.com. It is the evening of Monday, November 20th, 2023. Uh, Happy Turkey Week. Happy Thanksgiving for those of you who are listening to us. I'm joined now by Edward Vento, and we're talking, what, not quite an hour after full time in which uh, the United States defeated Trinidad and Tobago in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals by an aggregate score of... I can't even keep track of it. Ed, what was the final what was the final aggregate four, score? Four goals to two. Four goals to two. Thank you very much, Ed. Um, Sergino just got a red card. It was kind of a crazy game and one that unfortunately has been continues just to happen in the Burhalter era. Something that should have been academic and a walkthrough ended up being more complicated than it needed to. Albeit, it's not Greg's fault that Sergino just got a red card. But, um, Ed, how we doing? Happy almost Turkey Day. Good. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone out there. To you as well, Matt. Um, doing well. Hard to say I'm happy after this uh, result. I'm happy that we're through to another uh, Nations League semifinal. Obviously happy we're through to Copa America, but it's hard not to feel a little let down. I would agree. Um, I would say that the, Ed, this game had a very similar energy to like the um when you look at CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and the road games against teams that the U.S. are clearly better than and just like self-inflicted wounds or issues that you should expect to be able to deal with and then just not dealing with those and then getting a lackluster performance that then leads to you know I, I when you take into account I think the red card and the fantastic goal to ultimately be the the winner in terms of the second leg and everything you know this this game has similar energy to me of like the um the one one or the nil nil against El Salvador. That's kind of emotionally how I feel about it, even though it's different. But yes, yeah, so we we should first and foremost say, listeners, that the United States is through to another uh semifinal of the Nations League. Yay, that is fantastic. Um, and officially qualified for the uh, Copa America, which obviously the United States will be hosting. We did just get news the other day i think it's miami and then i can't remember the other stadium are hosting the final and then the first game of um of copa america but we'll we'll get to that when we get to it um ed let's start chronologically with the first leg um in which the united states won three to nil uh in austin uh q2 stadium continues to be happy hunting for the united states including but not limited to ricardo pepe a red card to Noah Powder, who Ed, I was actually super excited to see in this game because I've seen him once or twice with a hailstorm. He gets a red card in the 37th minute. The U.S. gets a lot of shots, um, and they saved it late with uh, the first goal not coming till the 82nd. But Ricardo Pepe scores, Anthony Robinson scores, and then does some backflips. Uh, Hercules Gomez was apparently upset that Anthony Robinson, Jedi, wanted to have some joy. And then Gio Reyna, I think, topping off a fantastic performance. Um uh, Ed, your thoughts on this? And then do we think that the beef is squashed or we think that Greg and Gio are maybe playing nice for the cameras at this point? Yeah, Gio is where I wanted to start. Um, I, I think I was texting one of my friends who's a big US, USM&T head that I just I love when Gio Arena is fully healthy and cooking 
he is so much fun to watch because especially in a game like that, he knows, or at least I think deep down he thinks and believes that he's the best player on the field and he plays that way. And he plays with that kind of attitude and, and I enjoy watching confident players play. Um, and it was kind of disappointing that it was as close as it was for as long as it was. And sure, the scoreline was not indicative of how the game actually went. But looking at it now, it was a great result and a much needed result. Um, but I, I, I don't really know what to think as far as Greg and Gio. I, I think that maybe Greg has kind of swallowed his pride a little bit and realized that Gio is an arguably the most important player to the team. And, and also I think Gio has kind of realized that he needs to, to mature a little bit. And he showed it with something tonight, in my opinion, which we'll get to later on, but overall, obviously a good three goals and a much needed three goals. Yeah, I think the big thing for me was, Ed, I feel like Gio more so, I think the only other player on the United States who I think really has a sense of the moment in terms of when it's important for them to grab, you know, you know, grab the game by the horns is probably Christian Pulisic. We've seen that at times where he's been, where he's almost been, um, where he, he takes that to an extreme, where it's the, I have to be the guy to save the team rather than being the best player in the attack on a very good team and I think certainly from a midfield standpoint Tyler Adams did that from a field general almost war daddy standpoint with the national team but I think Gio understood that based on the position with where he was played and what they needed to do in that first leg and especially no Tim Weah no Christian Pulisic that Greg was going to set him up to cook and Gio Reyna absolutely cooked and so in that regard Ed while I would say that Christian Pulisic is the better player the more veteran player the more he's the guy who's the face of the national team right now I think there's an argument of if we're going with the meme of let him cook you know uh Gio is the uh, Gio has the highest potential from a skill standpoint to be the three-star Michelin guy whereas I think Christian Pulisic does uh Gio's ceiling in in terms of just spectacular individual moments to achieve something in soccer I think is better than Pulisic even though if I, I think uh Christian is the more well-rounded um, better player. And so I think it was fantastic for him from a big picture standpoint. Ed, I, I agree with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. How much of the public statements that we're getting from both of them are something that they've pre-discussed or maybe have been put through, um, you know, a filter or anything. Um, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, Greg swallowing his pride. You know, we've seen there be beef between national team coaches before and then there's uh, there can be an uneasy piece certainly the, the last few head coaches that we've had prior to Greg have been more tyrannical you know Bruce Arena if Bruce Arena called you in it's because you were gonna get on the same page with him and obviously Jurgen Klinsmann did not have time or space for anybody who was not in line with him unless you were a German American um, but <clears throat> that's another topic for another time so if we're at if we're at uneasy peace and if Burhalter is just like, Gio, you're a very good player. If we're going to get to where I want us to get in 2026, I need you and I need to work with that. And if Gio is just like not scrolling through social media and whatever. And I know, I, I think we said this on the time uh, when we potted, you know, back in January, February of this year, Ed, of the what happened in the aftermath of the World Cup, I think was more about. Greg and his family vis-a-vis Gio's parents and not necessarily Gio involved directly. And I think there was there was certainly an opportunity for Gio to, from a public standpoint and private standpoint, in 
uh, you know, put himself in the middle of that and be a part of that spat. And at least publicly, he hasn't been about that. And so if he just, you know, go back to Dortmund, stay healthy, play games, keep your head down, work hard and everything. And so if we just have, if uneasy peace is where we're at to where they tolerate each other's existence in the same way that, I don't know, Ed, I don't know if you finished the David Beckham documentary series on uh, Netflix, but I think they touched on briefly, but really well and accurately the, um, the tension that was in the locker room between Landon Donovan and David Beckham. And I wouldn't say that they're friends now. I wouldn't say they were friends the moment that David Beckham moved to PSG, but I think they, they tolerated each other's existence and they saw that they needed each other. And so if we get to the end of 2026, win the world cup, whoever, and then Gio's like, yeah, Greg, I'm like, I'll delete his number. I don't need to call him, but like, we're okay. I'm okay with that. And if this was a step in the right direction in terms of this camp and everything, I'm here for it. And great that Gio played well. Um, Anything else that we want to say about the first leg, Ed, or shall we move on? Um, I can't think of anything else that sticks out. Okay. Um, I should say that obviously the U.S. from a midfield standpoint was dealing with some injuries going into the second leg. We already knew before the camp fully got together that uh, Johnny Cardoso was going to be out. And then Weston McKinney pulled out after the first leg as well with a knee injury that had a word in anatomy that I can't remember how to pronounce. So he was unavailable. Um Okay, let's let's start with Serginio Dested, but I'm gonna put a make a mental note. I want to come back to what Eunice Moose has done in the midfield. But um, Ed, the U.S. comes out, and we figure, okay, you know, a nil nil, a one one should be able to get it done. Anthony Robinson with another goal, absolutely fantastic. It looks like we're in cruise control. And then in the 39th minute, Serginio Dest doesn't get a call that he probably should have, but then he proceeds to get angry, kick the ball, but you know, really good punt into the um into the far stands, gets a yellow card for that, and then talks himself into a second yellow with the official. And normally, Ed, I would say this is concacafing, and we know that the refs weren't gonna give the US the benefit of the doubt. They certainly did once the United States were down a man, but you saw the reaction from pretty much every single teammate as Des left the field. And I, I have to feel Tim Remus is mad at, at, at Sergino Des right now, maybe even more so than he was at Geo um, after that friendly before the World Cup. I mean, Ed, Ed, what do we make of the play? What's the learnable moment for this? And are, are we Team Joe Scali at this point? You know, it's it's one of those things where I, I just wish I could go into the mind of Serginho Dest and understand why that specific thing set him off the way that it did. Because all it was was a throw-in in, what, the 30-some-odd minute of a game that and a tie, frankly, that was probably over at that point. Like, I, I just don't understand why it was that moment that set him off if it was a penalty if it was a you know a straight red card or 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 whatever the case may be something a little more drastic than just not earning a throw in i would get it but i just don't get why it was that specific thing it makes me wonder if maybe dest had been you know i I didn't notice anything earlier in the match to that point that would have made him frustrated with the official already I, i don't know and then it looked to me like he said some, he insulted the official in some way, which is why I think he got the second yellow. Um, but all that to say, the moment from Geo that kind of showed maturity was that he was one of the guys trying to pull him off. He was the one, you know, him and Tim Ream were kind of up in his face trying to get him to move on. I, I don't 
know if Geo from a year and a half ago is trying to get Dest away from the officials. So that to get away from Dest for a minute, that was nice to see from him. But yeah, I have no idea where that came from. I'm really, I'm really surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see some, you know, when I think the the two really good parallels that we might have for this from a man management standpoint, Ed, would be obviously there was the stuff with Geo, but I think Burhalter did a really good job, at least from a public facing standpoint with Mes- Weston McKenney after the breaking the curfew stuff. And we won't go down the rabbit hole of who that person <laughs> was and who we think it is and the reason behind it. But uh, Greg coming out and asking and being very matter of fact in his, you know, very dry you know, uh, you know, day old dried out turkey standpoint of, you know, Weston McKenney violated the trust of what we have internally and he's going to be punished internally and he's not going to be welcome back until we see him reflect on that. And Weston's at least like alluded to being different. And what we've seen from Weston since then, no serious outbursts or issues that he's had with the national team on the field or when he has been, it's usually because he's been choked out by a Mexican player. And then at that point, I can understand, but he's not been an issue at all off the field or out of camp or coming into camp or anything. And so we've seen then maturity and growth from Weston McKinney that's made him a better player due to that that started from punishment and being held accountable by Greg and then also the team as well. So to your point, Ed, like, you know, was there something else that was going, you know, was there something else that was going on? Was there something that's going on? I, I don't have a good answer for where that came from from Dest. And the only time that we've really else seen that was his red card for getting in the face with the Mexican player in the semifinal of this Nations League this summer, where I was disappointed with that because the I don't remember what the scoreline was at the time, but I felt like it was over. And certainly um, another red card for Mexico would have finished it off at that point. And so all he had to do was, you know, hold his hands up, take a step back and then wait for the referee to come in, get in between them and then give the red card to the opponent. And at that point, Mexico's off and so that game devolved into chaos and a mess because Des chose to outburst that being said you know Ed is you know I'm in a heated competitive environment somebody else punches me in the face I could see where you lose your head or you react viscerally in that regard but like there wasn't physical contact it wasn't another player it wasn't him getting cleaned out with a scissor tackle studs to his you know to his knee and then not getting even a foul or anything like that I I genuinely want to know what went there I didn't, you know, I, we're not going to find out what was actually said, probably, but I, I, I don't give CONCACAF officials the benefit of the doubt a lot. But <laughs> I give the, I give the CONCACAF rep the benefit of the doubt in that situation that it went on for that long. That at that point, Dest was almost asking for it. I'm really curious to see what how Burhalter handles this. Obviously, we're recording right now would be during the press conference that they're having down at Port of Spain. So I'd be really curious to see what the the quotes that come out of that, like I'm going to assume U.S. soccer is not going to make Dest available for him to be accountable in that regard. But I want more information and I want some level of accountability. And I think this is closer to the McKenney situation and the Geo situation to where Burhalter really throws the book at Dest. I think he will have the support of the locker room and he personally would have the support of me. Um, Ed, feel free to interrupt if you disagree. I thought I thought Joe Scali was fantastic again. I think he's done a lot of really good stuff with the national team. He's been great for Gladbach. Um, when the semifinal comes up, regardless of who it's against, if Joe Scali is 90 minutes fit, I think he should start. And short of a suspension, I think Joe Scali should start in the final. I think Scali does, I think he's better defensively than Dest is. I think Dest does a really good job in terms of link up play of getting from 
the U.S.'s defensive third to the attacking third. I don't know that either of them has a whole lot of bite in the final third. I don't know if we need to do that if, uh, you know, now that uh, Jedi Robinson's our best forward other than Florian Balogun. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, I think, uh, you know, I, I think they do enough and then combine with just the, uh, you know, Des being somewhat of a firecracker um, or at least being he's a liability in ways that Joe Scally has been a very, very cool head for the U.S. And I think that's enough of a difference to where you give Scally a run up. And, uh, you know, I think Greg should call up a few of the other right backs that we have generally in the pool um, to see um, where they're at in terms of evaluating talent. And if nothing else, that is a that is a lesson to be had. For guests that no amount of talent or what you've done with your club team or the fact that you started at the World Cup should preclude you putting your emotions above the team. I could see Ed where there were points with a number of the German-American dual nationals under Klinsmann who were new to CONCACAF coming in for World Cup qualification or a Gold Cup getting used to that and not necessarily knowing what that's like. Des has been through World Cup qualification. He has played Mexico in finals. He should know better and that's really where I'm particularly um, where I'm particularly disappointed. He knew exactly what kind of an atmosphere that he was going into. I have to assume Christian Pulisic or somebody else who was a part of that 2017 team in Cuba had some form of a conversation, <laughs> so they knew what they were getting into. They knew what this game had meant. And and I cannot imagine. I pity the USMNT multiverse version of you and I that are podcasting right now, where we're talking about the US getting knocked out by Trinidad and Tobago, all of the triggers and bad karma and all of the emotions that would come up relevant to Kuva. And then on top of that, missing out on a Copa America, which the US is hosting. And if all of that was centered around the nexus events of Secreting of Destiny and everything, I mean, you'd be straight up calling for like, there would be people on Twitter, like calling for like us to like, freeze him out never call him like he, he's put in the same pool with Jordan Morris at this point and uh and Chris Wondolowski not that Wando's playing anymore so I I shudder to um to think about that you know I, I've already seen people on Twitter saying that he should be banned for a little bit even though we're through and I think those people are kind of getting a little radical with that um but I, I do agree in the sense that this is not this is not a teenager playing in his first, you know, game in a, in a CONCACAF away environment, which, you know, if you watch CONCACAF games, you know, whether you think of it as an, as an excuse or not, CONCACAF away games are a different environment than CONCACAF home games, um, especially for nations like the USA and Mexico and Canada. Um, Dest has started in a World Cup. Dest has gone through World Cup qualifying. Dest has played in Nations League finals. Nations League semifinals. He, he's he. Whether we like, you know, we like to talk about how we have a young team, and it's true they are a young team. But just because you're young doesn't mean you aren't experienced. And he's an experienced player. He's played for Barcelona. He's playing in. He's he's a top of the table in the Eredivisie without a loss or a draw yet. They're like PSV are playing in the Champions League. Like this is not some guy. Like it's just so confusing as to why this happened and i don't know if we will ever get clarity like you said will we ever know exactly what was said or in the locker room by dest after the game will be i'll be interested to know if he's apologetic if he's still blaming the ref or or what whatever but yeah it, it's it sucks that this is the one thing we're harping on 
in this game because if if he just backs away when Gio and Reem are pushing him off, it's probably close to another three nothing win, and and we're really excited going to Copa America and back to a Nations League semifinal. But now it's not, and while I don't think it solely falls on the Dest moments, it, it it's definitely a big portion of the blame pie. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, the thing that I would add on to that as well, Ed, you know, like the getting, you know, Weston McKenney getting a red card for defending himself when he's almost chokeslammed by Mexico and, you know, basically the entire team jumps him. That's a red card I can defend. And what yeah. does, and how does Weston McKenney approach that and everything? He walks off the field with dignity, doesn't mouth off to the rep, and he's kissing the badge on his ripped shirt and everything. And then, you know, what does he do to come back? You know, he's done more stuff with the national team to show that he's fighting for the shirt. You are up 4-0 on aggregate against Trinidad and Tobago. Like, that reaction given the moment and given the opponent is beneath you, is beneath the circumstance and everything. Like, the if you're going to get a rage red card for a bad situation, like, that, that's where that's where I forgive McKenney in the long run for his red card against Mexico. That's where I can understand and empathize with the moment for Destin, his red card against Mexico. This is Trinidad and Tobago. They have guys playing in the USL championship. The, the red card was to, you know, a guy, Noah Powders, who I've watched, who is a fine USL League One player. There is nothing wrong with being in that situation. There are plenty of USM&T fans, even guys who are MLS heads like me, who are saying the long-term MLS guys that we've had that are not looking to go to Europe are on the outside looking in. We, you are three, four divisions below in terms of the opponent. You've played in a World Cup. You've played in Champions League. You are, you know, you could win a trophy in the Netherlands. Like, you know, to your point, Ed, he's young, but he's not inexperienced. He just turned 23 act like a World Cup veteran and act like the best fullback that we have for the United States men's national team. Um, we'll see what happens. Ed, I'm worked up. I don't want to talk about this. Let's talk about some <laughs> actual fun things that were going on in there. Obviously, um, Jedi Robinson scoring. I continue to be impressed with what he's done with the national team. Um, I guess uh, he now has to be a bleach blonde as far as I'm concerned. And Ed, I'm not sure if you saw there was the baby cradle um, uh, yeah. celebration. I know... Uh, he and the significant other, I can't remember if they're married. They've had a kid before, so I don't know if that's a signal that uh, Baby Jedi number two is on the way, but that's potentially um, exciting, and I think you know he certainly played um, very, very good. Uh, Ed, let's come on to what I thought about the midfield. I'm continuously impressed with what Yunus Musa has taken on in these moments in the six or the double pivot role that I was really impressed with. And other than a few moments where I think he was maybe a little bit defensively naive down a man, particularly in that early part of the second half where Trinidad and Tobago really took it to them. Luca De La Torre, I thought did some really, really good stuff. Um, Ed, your thoughts on that. And like big picture is just in Sharpie MMA in the midfield in a four, three, three. I think now that's worth consideration given what Moose has done. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because I was ready to pose the question of, and I don't want to be prisoner of the moment here, but going forward, I I don't know how Adams fits in to this, because I, I really think that you have, they have to find a way to have Gio Reyna, Tim Weah, Christian Pulisic, either Balogun or Pepe, who are currently interchangeable for me, and... Musa McKenney, 
they have those guys have to be on the field at all times. And I I just don't know how you make that work with Tyler Adams in the midfield. Um and we know Gio Reyna, while he is a very talented player, he's just not he's just not as effective out wide as he is centrally as a 10. Um, so I, I would be frustrated if Greg went back to that. I know that was a big thing amongst USMNT Twitter tacticians that were upset when Greg would ever play geo out wide, but I do have to agree. I, I don't think that's where he should be playing. So, you know, you say MMA, like that midfield was great, but I, I, have a hard time leaving Gio out um, even with Tyler Adams back into the fold. I just, this sounds like a champagne problem because we, you know, we have too many talented midfielders and not enough space for them. I don't know how, if you have the solution, let me know. I just, you can't, you can't take any of those guys off. It feels like, but you have to leave one of them, one of them off. Yeah, no, I was just, I was thinking about it and I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I know Greg has at times been married to the 4-3-3. He's situationally, I think, flexible as he saw. I, I'm looking on paper here on Google. I don't know if this is accurate, but it's, they've got it as a 4-2-2-2, which I'm sure somewhere Bob Bradley is just absolutely <laughs> smiling at the notion of that shape. But, you know, if I were to go right now, Ed, of, you know, let's say a must-win game, you know, let's say we're playing Canada in, you know, a Nations League semi-final um I, I said scally at the back i think the rest of the back five um including the goalkeeper writes itself but then i'd almost go four two three one of have mckenny and moose in the double pivot because then i think that gives you the, the ability for both of them to go back and forth i think musa has shown he has a defensive work rate that either wasn't being asked of him in the past or just he wasn't naturally showing that now when it's been necessary he does that and then I think it's you said Balogun and Pepe are interchangeable. One of those two is up top. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe in hindsight, with the red card playing the two number nines up top didn't really make sense. But I could see where if you assume no red card, there's some you know gray galaxy brain logic going in there. Um, and then I think it's Christian on the left, and I'd have a conversation about this. But I'd I'd want Gio in the middle, honestly, to cook, and then have way out wide, probably cutting inside while Pulisic stays more wide. And I think that front four would do damage against anybody other than you know the top five you know usual suspects when it comes to a a world cup knockout game so um i thought musa was really good i think luca de la torre and brendan aronson have shown that they continue to be really really good utility players i think certainly once that red card came through needing that pressure down the left just with what you know robinson was doing with lung busting runs and then aronson was necessary at times i would have uh, if the game was a little bit closer, I would have loved uh, Paxton to get on just so that we could have the Aronson brothers coming on and everything. But uh, I guess that's going to have to wait until after their uh, their next Aronson derby that they have out in Germany. But, um, you know, some good work there. But I guess, you know, coming on to the game, Ed, I, you know, th that first goal, I thought Matt Turner has to do better from a set piece standpoint, but that certainly happens. And really, other than that period where they're where Trinidad and Tobago was really taking it to them, I think there was a lot of pressure. I don't know if this is because I didn't look it up, but I remember the commentator said after that, I had forgotten that away goals were in effect. So my dad and I were watching the game and we're like, oh crap, TNT get one more goal and then we're only one goal away. I forgot that they needed three more, but those types of pressure periods will happen in these CONCACAF games. Like We've seen the U.S. play at Honduras, at Panama, and had a 15-minute period where it is 
hold on to your butts. Oh my God. <laughs> and if they only end up conceding one goal, as they did in this situation, that's not entirely the um the end of the world. And in that regard, I would have liked to have seen, I have to wonder what was said in the locker room to where they came out of the second half and were relatively flat. And I would have liked to have seen Greg make an approach that was a little bit different. They weathered the storm, but I think it would have been a tough situation because you've already burned one sub and one sub window. And I don't think you make a double substitution in that situation. But if you could, if you could have made one change there to stave that off, that's something that this is a good situational moment for, I think, uh, Greg to think about that and then maybe be a little bit more prepared and then maybe have just the team be a little bit more prepared. And so in that regard, I think this was a good exercise for a Balogun, a Pepe who's still relatively young, and certainly Luca De La Torre, who's been in those, uh, who's been in some of these games, but he's usually, uh, the team fits around him in a way to where he's not asked to do a whole lot of where I would not have felt concerned about that moment going up the middle of the field, uh, Trinidad and Tobago going up the middle of the field against the U.S. if a fully healthy, if, if World Cup Tyler Adams was in that situation with Yunus Musa or even McKenney as well, fully fit, I wouldn't have had as much um, concern about that. But um, the U.S. ends up seeing it out. Um, Ed, you mentioned Balogun and Pepe are interchangeable for you. Obviously, Balogun started, and but Pepe came on off the bench and scored, and Pepe was the one who was subbed out. Um, you want to elaborate on that thought or what you've seen from these two? Yeah, you know, I think with Balogun right now, it just seems to me like he's still trying to get familiar with the guys, you know, get used to the style of play. Um, you know, anytime, you know, it seems like he right now is better for club than he is for country. And I think it has a big reason to, the, the big reason for that is, you know, he's still new to the team. This is what maybe his fifth or sixth competitive match. Uh, maybe I'm shortchanging him a little bit there, but I just think the talent level that I, you know, the talent level is there. And I, I do think he will grow into being a really reliable goal scorer for us. And Pepe has kind of already shown that he is a reliable goal scorer. He's bailed us out multiple times. Um, he kind of bailed us out against Trinidad in leg one, getting the first goal there was a game, I can't remember which qualifier it was, where I think he scored two and assisted one. It was maybe Honduras. That sounds right. Um, where we were kind of really struggling to get anything going, and then he was subbed on and kind of bailed the team out. I just feel like any given night, I'm comfortable with whoever Greg feels like gives us the best chance to win, and I will probably lean Balogun once he gets a little more integrated but you know if if Pepe if he felt like starting Pepe I, I wouldn't mind it I just think both of those guys are extremely talented I'm looking on Balogun's transfer market right now and they don't have it um so it's uh, in in terms of Balogun he now has seven caps for the United States four of those are in international friendlies three of those are the Nations League now so um uh that might not be updated because he played in both of the um he played in both of the nations league when they had it in the summer as well so we'll say comfortably under 10 caps and then you combine that with the um camps that have come in you know just uh, this is another topic for another time ed but just as a as an aside like the um 
Balogun hasn't been around the team enough to where I think he has a relationship with everybody. And so just the, I'd, I'd love to have a camp or like, you know, Copa America next year. If it was just like Pulisic, Wea, Reyna, Balogun, McKenney, Adams, Musa, all healthy to then gel so that they, they have a little bit of more rapport as well. Because Balogun now, I think, has a rapport with the national team as a whole and Greg, but not necessarily with Gio. And that's where not having Wea or not having Pulisic was a concern that I had going into this camp that Gio absolutely filled in. But if he, you know, Gio was healthy and able to play in, um, in, in the previous games that Balogun's been in, I think they would have been in a better situation. But um, here we are uh, regardless. Ah, what else do I want to um, do? I want to mention um, about this. Um, Ed, Cameron Carter Vickers. Um, and then the discussion that we've had around the center back position. Obviously, I think we're going to ride Tim Ream until, you know, he retires at the age of 46. Um, I thought CC- CCV did a really good job. I still think that in the context of the nation, the, the national team and what they could do, I still think Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson should be in the conversation there. I think that um, I, I saw that there was a lot of discourse mainly pointed at Miles Robinson that other people should have been more involved. And I think I know more about Austin Trusty than maybe just the random Arsenal fan who's seen him now with Sheffield United. But um, Ed, any complaints about what's going on at the center back position um, or the fact that um, we didn't see anybody else get an opportunity? It was just CCV with Reem again. You know, actually, yes, I was going to bring this up. Uh, it's a little disappointing to not get Chris Richards a single minute. Um, that felt strange to me. Um, you know, Carter Vickers is someone who, you know, there was a discussion on Twitter recently about, you know, who's a U.S. player that you wrote off that you were proven wrong about. And he's one of those guys to me, uh, being a Spurs fan we never really gave him a fair shot. So it was kind of hard to judge him off of that. But I was kind of just like, well, if you can't, you know, if we're not giving him a shot at Spurs, we clearly don't rate him. So he must not be very good. And then as soon as he went to Celtic, I was like, wait a minute, why didn't we keep this guy? Um, And now, you know, I, I love Tim Ream to death, but I think if, if come, the end of Copa America, he's still our starter. I, I, I just think something's wrong with Richards or, or Vickers, and that's not good because you know we don't want to have to be relying on a forty-year-old center back for the future. Obviously, but you know, just based on what he's given to this team recently, it's it's hard to drop him. I'll admit that Tim Ream just is so steady, and he's still so good. He's like fine wine, but. I just wish Chris Richards would have gotten a chance because I do think that the talent level is there with him to be a really strong partnership at the the World Cup if it turns out to be him and Carter Vickers. Yeah, no, I think you I think you make some good points there, Ed. I, I do agree that we we need Burhalter needs to start experimenting with partnerships that aren't Matt Miazga being a mess in the Gold Cup. Well, okay, hold on. No, that was that was BJ Callahan. I retract my previous <laughs> criticism of Greg Berhalter. But so we need to have a plan for Tim Ream not being with the national team come 2026. And I think, unfortunately, Ed, there, there's an alternate reality where Miles Robinson doesn't get hurt that year with Atlanta. He and Walker Zimmerman are starting in the World Cup for Qatar. I think they would have played well enough in some circumstances. And then I think at that point, Miles Robinson 
goes to Europe and then maybe proves, you know, some components that maybe we don't have a full understanding of because he's happy playing in Atlanta where he gets his particular, um, where he gets his particular situation. So Cameron Carter Vickers, Chris Richards, Austin Trusty, I'd like to see some experimentation there just because we're going to need to do that. I'm, I I don't know that I have a preference between any of those three names that I've mentioned. You know, I suppose I, I've seen some good stuff with Chris Richards. Um, I do think he has a chance to break in in the second half of this year under at Crystal Palace. And so maybe he would be the one that I would lean into in that regard. But I, I do think we need to start experimenting more at that position. My issue with Greg's rotation or maybe lack of rotation was I thought there were a number of really interesting names that we wanted a better understanding of that didn't necessarily get minutes here. Now, it's it's hard for me to criticize that with Greg because obviously the decisions that he's making at the end of the first leg is to try and go get a result, get three points, stack, you know, stat pad, the aggregate score. And then as soon as Des gets the red card, then at that point, you're just trying to see in advance. Uh, you're just trying to advance. But, you know, maybe another area in which there was a missed opportunity is if Des doesn't get that red card, I think you go into the halftime one nil. And then I think if you get a second goal, then early on or midway through the second half, then you'd get a Leonard Maloney run out. Maybe Chris Richard comes on for Tim Ream because, you know, Marco Silva needs Tim Ream healthy for Fulham. I, I don't know that Alex Zende, Alejandro Zendeas would have been in that, Ed, but I think he was disappointing enough for me in the Gold Cup that maybe enough times passed that where the reason why he got called in for another opportunity. I know I banged the drum for Pax and Aronson as well, but, you know, I just I, I go down the list of interesting guys that you have on here, whether it's Christoph Lund. I didn't mention Kevin Paredes as well. I mean, it's useful to get those guys into camp. It's useful to have those guys around a competitive must-win match that is a uh, a potential banana skin. I think it's a useful exercise for them to see how other guys who've been more regularly involved with the national team see games through and everything. But it's just there's only so much that we're going to learn from U.S. soccer, you know, padding these favorable matchups and favorable geographic situations in the international friendlies to where these competitive games are more magnified and thus more useful in terms of bleeding in the new talent and Berhalter really getting a good understanding of what we have. And so I think in that regard, it was a missed opportunity. Nations League will be an opportunity. We'll see how we go about approaching the Copa America and everything. But, you know, again, Des doesn't get that red card. We're up 2-0 get Lund, get Maloney, get them a run out, even in a game against Trinidad and Tobago, 30 minutes where they come in super excited to represent the national team, play with their hair on fire, like when Brendan Aronson got his first sub appearance, I think was um, was a missed opportunity. Um, maybe the one name that we haven't mentioned, Ed, that's been a little bit on the fringe as well that I'm kind of curious with, that I remember when he had that really good like two-week period uh, with Rangers. Um, Malik Tillman, what do we think? Disappointing. Um... I think this window, that's that's the only real takeaway. You know, he's been, you know, playing really well at PSV. He's been a he's been a big uh big component in their unbeaten start. Um, so it's strange that he just came into this window and just wasn't very good. I, you know, it could have been nerves. I think this if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but this was his first real competitive window in you know in a competitive setting for not just friendlies for the u.s um so i get i get all of that this is kind of like a i'll let it pass this time but next time you know if we start to see 
more and more disappointing performances where he just looked out of sync and, you know, didn't really ever gel, then I think we'll start to worry. But I think there's a lot of talent there. I think he's a really good player and a really good option behind Gio Reyna. Um, I, I, in my, in my personal depth chart, I would have him behind Gio Reyna as the backup 10, but you know, in my personal depth chart, I would have John Brooks in the team. So it clearly doesn't matter what I think, but um, yeah, like I said, I, I can let this window slide, but it's definitely someone who needs to be improving. And if we don't see that improvement, it'll get really interesting. I don't know. I would agree with you. I mean, in terms of just the baseline of what did you do in the ball when there was no pressure, I thought he was fine. Ed. But yeah, in terms of the critical moments, particularly when he was a sub in this game and they really needed somebody to, you know, make a run, make a really good pass or something, he didn't necessarily do that and didn't really unlock anything when it came to being up a man against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I have, I'm not sure what's going on with transfer market. That's normally what I go with here, listeners. But so uh, Malik Tillman for the U.S. is listed as having seven caps, but then they have two also in Nations League. So if I'm reading this correct, Ed, then the Balogun numbers are not up to date, but the Tillman numbers are. Maybe I'm misreading <laughs> this. Maybe I'm forgetting something else. But I think you are right in saying this is his first real competitive games that he's had. So in that regard, I can forgive that or ca- I can accept that this was, you know, this is a learning moment, improve and be better for this. At the same time, I'm not super worried about the position, like you said, Ed, because I think the the front four, the front five that we have in terms of our attacking talent is up there. And even if there's an issue with injuries or if Tillman ends up not being the guy and everything, I don't have any issue with having Brendan Aronson be the first sub off the bench and doing like what he did at Qatar for any one of those three roles. If we're assuming then it's it's Balogun or Pepe, um, up front, and then so one of Wea, Pulisic, and G- and Reyna starting behind the number nine or intertwined with that as well. I'm fine with Brandon Aronson in any one of those three roles as a substitute. Obviously, he does different things, but um, you know, he he's certainly ahead of um of Tillman in that regard, even at the substitute number ten position. But um, we'll see about that. And I think that does it for. Main talking when it comes to this window, obviously, we do not yet know who the U.S. will be playing in terms of the um, Nations League final. I think that's a draw that happens later, so um, we'll leave that um, for that. Ed, anything else that uh, you wanted to say, or shall we get out of here? Um, I I did want to add that that Matt Turner is a little concerning to me uh, mm. right now. I'm less comfortable than I was you know, three months ago, he's fallen out of favor at Fort Nottingham Forest. I believe they've even benched him. I don't know if he's permanently on the bench, but I know recent fixtures, they have gone to the backup. I, for the life of me, can't think of his name, but, um, and tonight, you know, obviously leg one, he had nothing to do. I, the U S was on the ball the whole game. Um, but, that goal that he, that free kick goal that he allowed, he has to be keeping out. Um, and then there were just a lot of, of cagier moments, uh, than, than we're used to with him. And I know the free kick was a really good strike, but something my granddad used to say was if you can touch it, you can catch it. So if you can touch it as much as he did, you can keep it out of the goal. So I just feel like, Maybe I'm overreacting a little bit to just a bad run of form, but 
and and we don't have a ton of great backup options. I know Slonina's way too young. Zach Steffen seems kind of like a John Brooks situation, just minus the drama. Zach Steffen's just not not a selection anymore. And Ethan Horvath, I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe you can maybe talk me off the ledge of it here. I just haven't been very confident with Matt Turner in goal recently. Um uh, the 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 goal on the free kick Ed where he gets a touch to it but then it ends up in the top corner that gives me concern that's something that he has to do better in and if he makes that save then I don't know that we see a second goal from that was the goal that then created the pressure that then turned this into oh god here we go again all of the USMNT you know Reddit and YouTube PTSD and everything just like immediately <laughs> got triggered and everything like my dad was asking me about stuff and everything and I was just like the I was holding on and I'm like the dad just please don't bring up Omar Gonzalez I don't want to think about this <laughs> um and so Matt Turner had the opportunity to fix that um so the goalkeeper in question Ed who's at least temporarily starting right now for Nottingham Forest is Greek international Odysseus Vlakodimos I knew I knew I knew it was an awesome name like that. Yes. V L A C H O D I M O S. I apologize to any Greek listeners if I'm completely <laughs> butchering that. I do not know how to say that, but yeah, Odysseus, pretty solid Greek first name, certainly. So um I think it's a valid concern. Ed. Um I know that Matt Turner we know that Matt Turner can there's a lot of players on the national who had one fumble in these 180 minutes who are capable of playing better it's funny you mentioned in terms of your personal depth chart uh and um i'm pretty sure i'd say at worst third uh gaga salina is the third choice goalkeeper for me so salina season i don't know if he goes somewhere on loan for chelsea or with how with how much of a mess chelsea is right now maybe uh you know todd Bowley will force him into the starting lineup because he'll have some say over potch at this point so uh yeah the uh, the goalkeeper position right now is not one that I am as confident in, in terms of certainly not as confident as I feel about the forward position and about the midfield position, but I'm not concerned about it in that regard. I think there, there's enough options that we have at center back, Sands, Tim Ream. It's just a matter of sorting out who those are. I don't know who they are. I trust Greg Berhalter in that regard. I feel confident in Joe Scali over Sergio Dest at this point. So, um, you know, we'll... It's it's a valid concern. It's something that I'm going to look at. I look forward to Matt Turner bouncing back and having a fantastic performance in that semifinal against Canada, Mexico, uh, or whomever to then prove us all wrong or just reaffirm the goalkeeper that we've known him to be. Well, Mexico's uh, got some work to do. Oh, I've I've not been paying attention to the scores. Yeah, what what else do we have? What else is going on in in Nations League? Well. Uh, Mexico lost 2-0 to Honduras uh, last, no, Tuesday night. So they fight for their lives tomorrow at home. Uh, so I, I expect them to come back. But apparently they, just from U.S. or from Mexico fans that I am friends with, they haven't been that great at home under their new manager. Um, I don't know if maybe that's just them you know, being overreactive fans as a lot of us can be, but they've got some work to do. And it looks like right now, Panama knocked out Costa Rica and Canada and Jamaica play tomorrow. So it looks like Panama is going to be our semifinal opponent, unless they do it in draw format. I don't know if it's like a bracket or a draw, but 
I don't know that we've gotten the format on that. So uh, we're recording this. It's 10.22 p.m. Eastern Time, listeners. It's currently in the 65th minute, and Panama is up 3-1 to one against Costa Rica, up 6-1 on aggregate. I feel pretty confident about that result going through, but it's CONCACAF. Who knows? Um, the CONCACAF gods just heard me, and now it's going to end up being 7-6 on aggregate. Yes. I know it. Yeah. Um, and then Canada advanced, uh, got the one-leg win in Jamaica from the rescheduled game because there was a torrential flood basically so they won 2-1 on that so probably Canada I am not going to make a prediction ad on Honduras Mexico but yeah so Panama in there as well um all of these teams for the most part are known quantities and you know Ed as we talked about last time when we were talking about Nations League Mexico is in transition in ways that have them unstable and I think it's a valid concern with everything going on off the field and at a leadership standpoint with uh Canada soccer and then no John Herdman as well. I do not think this is the this is not the same big bad Canada that gave the US absolute fits in um in World Cup qualification, ultimately finished top of the octagonal, hexagonal, whatever we called that thing. So even right now with all the concerns that we have and the questions about injuries and some individual personnel, I would I, I would put it on the US that there should be an expectation that we go in and we win this nations league and we'll probably be um, the favorite, and I think that's the standard. Um, and I look, we look forward to covering it. Um, and if there's yes. nothing else, I'm going to do some ad reads. Uh, I want to thank uh, Athletic Greens for sponsoring our podcast and everybody here at Last Word. They have a signature AG1 formula. It helps you with daily nutrition and builds your uh, long-term gut health that can solve and help with so many things with our body, whether it's sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, and then even the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes. Get started with uh, AG1 with us today. And then I want to thank our other two sponsors, uh, Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. Icarus FC makes fantastic custom kits, uh, any design you want. Seriously, that's their motto. Um, and so you could do that for your Sunday league squad, your adult, a pro team. I think they make kids sizes. So if for some reason you want to absolutely pimp out your eight-year-old's AYSO team, uh, hit up Icarus FC. Uh, and then Roughneck Scarves are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, NWSL, and US soccer merchandise. Get your next USMNT scarf uh, or your custom scarf for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. Ed, thanks so much for joining me on uh, Monday. Listeners, thanks for listening to us. Follow us on all the socials at LessWordSC. Um, and then wherever you get your podcast, just search LWS Radio or uh, LWOS, and you'll find uh, a bunch of other great content in addition to us. But that'll do it for this edition of Last Word SC, and we'll see you after Thanksgiving to look ahead to the rest of the MLS Cup playoffs and everything else going on in American soccer.